Well, good evening. We are continuing our series on values. And, you know, we all have values of some sort or another. And one of the values that I have is I just want to spend time with my grandkids. I just love it. In fact, I have a three-year-old granddaughter, and she loves to come to my house to play. And she plays at the dollhouse. She likes to do arts and crafts. I, um, because it's grandma's house, you know, we can do arts and crafts or whatever. I don't have to worry about keeping it clean. She loves to come and play, but there's one thing that she does that just drives me like bonkers. And it's when she sees the boxes of games. And then she comes up to me with a little box, and she says to me, Grandma, play with me. And it's not that I don't like playing games, because I do love games. In fact, on my um, phone right now, I have six open games of Words with Friends. So I love playing games. It's just that I'm competitive. And you ever played a game with a three-year-old? Oh, my goodness. Like, there's no rules. And we all know you need rules to make the game interesting. You need rules for how many spaces you can move and, and what you can do. And she doesn't play like that. We get the pieces set up, and then I'm trying to play by the rules. Okay, you rolled a four. Okay, let's move. One, two. And she's like taking it and knocking my man over. And I'm going, I can't. It just, my heart races, and it's not from joy. <laughs> As I get so stressed. But isn't it true that the rules of a game or the boundaries that you need to stay within is what makes the game interesting? In fact, we just watched the Super Bowl a few weeks ago, right? Now, what if on that particular game, they decided that, you know what, let's not put the goalposts up. Let's not. Let's, let's just leave them down. It's only one game. What would happen? The three missed kicks wouldn't have made a difference, right? Or what if it didn't matter if the ball was caught inbounds or not? What if just getting close was good enough? Then there wouldn't have been a review of Zach Ertz's fourth quarter catch that seemed to take forever. Or what if just getting close to the end zone was good enough? Then all the goal line stands and red zone stops wouldn't have meant a thing. They would have been unimportant. See, I believe we can all argue that in games, at least, rules and boundaries are very important. Now, you might say to me, yeah, but that's just games. And games don't really matter. So let's get a little closer to reality. Let's talk about driving. Now, have you ever noticed that when you're driving, there are guardrails in different areas on the road? Now, we'll generally find guardrails in three specific areas. One is bridges, so that you don't drive off the edge and into the water or the ravine that's below. The other is in medians, to protect you from fast-moving, oncoming traffic coming into your lane. And the third place is in dangerous curves, and they're to prevent you from driving off the roadway and over a dangerous embankment. See, guardrails are put into places to keep us within certain boundaries as we drive our vehicles down the road. And here's the thing about guardrails. They're not at the point of danger. They're actually placed well within where there's danger, where it's still safe. But nobody ever complains about that. I've never heard anyone say, oh man, look at that guardrail. You know, if that guardrail wasn't there, I could drive five feet more to the right. Oh, why do they put that there? We don't complain about it. Because we know on the other side of the guardrail is danger. And we're kind of glad that it's there. Guardrails don't stop us from driving. They keep us safe as we do. Now, 
I've never had to use a guardrail. But I've seen the bent, twisted mess of metal of someone else using the guardrail, and I'm pretty sure that they're glad that that guardrail was there to prevent further damage to their bodies. See, we can bump up against guardrails, but they're in place to prevent serious danger. And guardrails, like the rules in the games that we play, prevent chaos and keep us safe. Now, even in our personal lives, boundaries are really important. Now, sometimes we don't like talking about them. We go, whoa, 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 legalistic, come on. Let's just back up a little. We got too many rules here. But life without boundaries can get disordered, chaotic, and difficult. And in all honesty, we actually want the people around us to have boundaries. How many of you want the person coming in on the shift after you to be on time? Right? Or we expect that our paychecks will be deposited to our accounts or available to us when they're supposed to be available to us. And when we're driving, we want the driver in front of us to go at least the speed limit. And we all want oncoming traffic to stay on their side of the white line. And if you're married or you're in a relationship, we expect our spouse or partner, they best not be dating. See, when we think about putting boundaries on ourselves, there's some pushback. But we want others to stay within boundaries. So tonight, we're continuing our series, Developing Values. And I'm going to talk to you about the importance of the value of creating boundaries. Now, I'm not talking about do's and don'ts or things that we have to do or a certain way that we have to live. I'm talking about the types of boundaries that can serve as personal guardrails within our lives. So for the purpose of tonight, let's just define those guardrails as standards of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. In fact, let's make it more specific. It becomes a matter of your conscience. And these are standards that we're so committed to that it bothers us when we bump up against them or violate them. There are personal standards of behavior that inform, energize, and ignite our decisions and actions. And actually, the Apostle Paul set up the principle for boundaries in a letter he wrote to the church of Ephesus. And in Ephesians 5.15, he said, Pay careful attention then how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So basically what he's saying is, you know what? Be fully present and aware of your choices and actions. Don't follow the crowd and do everything that they're doing. Be cognizant of your steps and how they affect you now and later. Because guess what? We don't have forever. Be aware that time is limited. Therefore, don't waste any of it. Look around you. Everywhere we look, there's bad things that are happening. Everywhere. People are choosing to reject God and they're rejecting his ways. And everyone wants to do what pleases them. And Paul says, don't get caught in this. Be wise. Understand what God's will is, accept it, and live by it. So those three verses, they're a call for setting boundaries. He's saying, look, you're surrounded by evil. Don't get caught in it. Don't become ensnared by it. Be proactive 
and aware of what's going on so that you can avoid getting caught. Now, I know there's some of you sitting here tonight that's thinking, I didn't say that I wanted to live a Christian lifestyle. I'm okay with my world. I got that. But let me ask you something. What is the one thing you wish you had done different? What is one thing you wish you could have seen coming and avoided? What is that one regret that you wish you didn't have? See, whether we want to live God's ways or not, I think we can all agree that we need boundaries to avoid the pitfalls and the dangers that come from living a life without any standards. So Paul challenged the Ephesians, and he challenges us. Be honest with ourselves. And he dares us to quit playing near the edge. See, we don't know what's on the other, we already know what's on the other side. And we know we don't really want it. Yet for some reason, we want to walk and get as close to the edge as we can. We want to say, how close can I get to sin without really sinning? How close to danger can I get and not be in danger? How close is just too close? But once you're at the point of danger, you're already too far. So everyone can avoid the consequences that follows playing too close to the edge if we'll apply three truths. And the first one is build boundaries. Build them thick, build them wide, build them strong. Now, in the very beginning of time, there, when there wasn't any boundaries, things were chaotic. And then God stepped into our history. So if you have your Bibles or your um, phones, you can open up to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read from there. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So before time even began, God saw the earth, and he looked at it, and it was formless, and it was empty. I love how the Living Bible translates this. It says, the earth was a shapeless, chaotic mass. There were no boundaries. There were no limits. Things were free to flow wherever, whenever it wanted. And it was messy and chaotic, and that's when God stepped in. So reading from Genesis 1.1, says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. And then God said, Let there be an expanse in the middle of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and he separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw 
that it was good. See, the first thing that God did when he stepped into creation was he set boundaries. He separated the light from the dark. He separated the waters from waters. He separated waters from land. Boundaries were never meant to impede freedom. They created a sense of order. And God called that order good. Boundaries didn't limit creativity or freedom. They made room for it. And then God continued creating and setting boundaries. So in Genesis 1, verse 20, Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created a great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. So as God continued the creating process, he continued to set boundaries. He set boundaries within each species, and then he called it good. And finally, he created man. And then even in creating us, God set boundaries in place. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. We'll be in verse 15. It says, Then the Lord took the man, and he put them in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So even in the very beginning, Adam didn't just get to roam around and do absolutely nothing all day. He had a job. He had an assignment, something he had to do. He had to cultivate the ground. That was to put order into his days. His job was to cultivate and maintain the garden that God created. Adam's existence was not merely fun and games. He had a job to do. And then God followed his boundary setting by giving Adam a partner, someone to enjoy God's creation with. In Genesis 2.21, it says, So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So even though they had a job to do to keep their days disciplined, Adam and Eve were totally free to enjoy the garden. They were totally free to enjoy each other. They could eat whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. And think about this freedom. They didn't have to worry about whether their clothes were going to fit. They didn't have to worry about whether it was going to look good. They had total freedom. They were free. But even in that, there was a boundary. There was a tree, just one tree that they could not eat from. God told them, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. 
But God did not just set a boundary. He, just, he didn't just say, don't eat. He gave them the principle behind it. He said, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. See, that tree was dangerous. It would cause their death. There was a boundary around that tree because the outcome was bad. Now, we already know. Adam and Eve crossed the boundary, and we're living with the consequences of that decision today. Now, before they ate from the tree, they were unashamed. After they ate from the tree, they experienced guilt, shame, blame, and hiding. See, God taught them to look past the tree, to recognize and respect the boundary, to avoid the danger. There was a boundary in place to prevent destruction, to prevent guilt, condemnation, shame, and consequences of their poor decision. See, boundaries don't limit us. They make us free. And that's the second principle to apply as we develop the value of creating boundaries, and that's look ahead. See, we need to look past right now, past our emotions, past our desires. We need to look past our mood and whatever is moving us closer to temptation and picture where we could end up. See, while Adam and Eve were in the garden, they could see that the tree that God said was not for them. It was right there. But ringing in their ears was his warning. Don't eat from this tree. There's danger. They knew what was ahead. Danger was ahead if they ate from the tree. And in creating boundaries, we need to learn to look ahead to see if our decisions will lead to shame, will it lead to guilt, will it lead to condemnation, rejection, destruction, brokenness. See, any one of us can continue this list because we're, we've experienced or are experiencing the consequences of giving into temptation and making an unwise decision. We need to see the danger, and then we need to make some decisions to keep us safe. A couple of months ago, my husband and I, my husband's a photographer. He likes to take pictures. So we thought, hey, after church on Wednesday, let's go up to Mauna Kea, and let's take pictures of some of the meteor showers. And then Bill Capola wanted to go with us, and he wanted to learn how to use a camera. So we headed up there. <clears throat> and the car that we had at the time, the back seat is not that comfortable. So I sat in the back. I had an ulterior motive because coming down, I wanted to go to sleep. So we went up. We were up there. We were taking pictures, and we came down. And I fell asleep coming down the Mount Access Road. And we're driving, and I could hear the mumble of their conversation. And then all of a sudden, I could hear Bill very loudly. Actually, he was yelling. He said, brah, brah, whoa, brah, look at that, look at that. Oh, brah, he going to hit him. Brah, he going to hit him. Oh, man. Oh, brah, brah, he's in your lane. He going to hit you. I thought maybe that's a good time to wake up. So I woke up, and I look, and there's headlights shining in the front window of our car. And I start yelling, call 911, call 911. So you get me yelling, call 911, because I don't know what that's going to do. Bill yelling, brah, brah, he's going to hit you, he's going to hit you, brah. And we look over, and Tom's just very calm. He's just driving. And I, okay, I don't know how he did it. He managed to take the car and maneuver it between, there was a car that was heading towards us, between that car and the guardrail, no damage to us, we're still alive, and no damage to our car, and no damage to the guardrail. Now, the other two cars, because they hit, there's, there was substantial damage. And so we called the police, and they came. The other people were fine. But on the way home now, guess who didn't sleep? Because, you know, the adrenaline is going. Bill didn't sleep. I didn't sleep. And we're, 
driving along, and Tom's driving, and we looked at him and said, okay, how did you do that? How did you manage that? Now, I know. Okay, I know God's hand was on us. I know that God protected us, and I am so grateful for that. But I also know that there were things that my husband needed to do to control the car. And so I said, what did you do? And he said, well, actually, when he saw the car that was coming up cross over the line into the next lane and heading for the car in front of us, the first thing he thought is, dude, I'm going to see a head-on collision, and we're going to be first responders. So he said that he already started slowing the car down and watching for where he could pull off. But he was watching everything that was going on so he could be aware. So by the time the two cars sideswiped each other and the truck ricocheted toward us, he was already in position to be in control rather than to have to react. See, he was looking ahead, and he saw danger ahead. And when he saw the danger ahead, he was able to respond. And that's what we need to do. When we're living our lives, when we're around those things that are causing us problems or issues or temptations, we need to be able to look ahead and see danger and already start thinking, how am I going to respond? What am I going to do? In Proverbs 22, 3, um, it says, a sensible person sees danger and takes cover, but the inexperienced keep going and are punished. So what he's saying is, look ahead. Be aware. Don't just keep walking along into what you recognize is going to be trouble. See the danger, make different plans, and then head in a different direction. The Apostle Paul would later echo that in his letter to the Ephesians when he said, pay careful attention then to how you walk. See, you and I know what it is that causes us the most grief. No one has to tell us the one area of our lives where we tend to make the dumbest decisions. We know and we've suffered the consequences of poor decision-making in our lives. In fact, some of us right now are living out the cost of that one decision. But can I let you in on a secret? It wasn't one decision. It was a series of decisions that allowed us to get close to temptation and then give in. See, one decision will not bring us to the edge. It's always a series of small decisions, small compromises here and there. And the truth is that by the time you're at the point of making a wrong decision, you've already made a bunch of small decisions that brought you there. If I were to walk right here, I take one more step, I'm down, right? So if I were to do that and I were to fall right here, which step caused me to fall off the platform? See, everybody says it's the last one, and common sense says it's the last one. Right? Yeah, that's exactly it, the first one. See, that first step is the one that gets us going in that direction. And that first step is the one that we need to catch. That's looking ahead. If I take that first step, I know I'm walking towards the edge. By the time I get to the edge, it's too late. And by the time we get close to what it is that's tempting us, by the time we get close to the edge of whatever it is that is that one area that we're having to deal with, it's too late. And the place to deal with it is right here 
That's the first step. That's looking ahead. So which area of your life do you need to stop and look ahead? Which area of your life do you need to see the danger and then take that first step? Are you trying to be healthy or lose weight? Do you want to stop smoking or vaping? Is it drugs? Alcohol? Is there a relationship that could damage your marriage? What is that one area where you need to look ahead, see the danger, and say, nope, I'm not taking that step? See, that area is an area where you need to create a boundary, and you need to create a big, thick, and strong. And when you set that boundary, it's not so that you can't enjoy life. It's to set you free to enjoy life to the full. Jesus said in John 10.10, A thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I've come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. God's desire is that we would live a joy-filled and abundant life, one that's free from guilt. It's free from shame. It's free from condemnation. It's free from the consequences of dumb decisions. God gives us the ability to recognize and appreciate his boundaries, and then he gives us the power to create them in our own lives. And that's a choice we have to make. And once you make that decision, I'm going to look ahead. I'm going to build a boundary. Then your final choice is be accountable. I read a book called Press On by Jennifer McAllister, and she writes about competing in a triathlon. And she says this, During the swim portion of the triathlon, I felt something hit me on my foot, not once, but twice. And I looked up to see a volunteer on a kayak who was shouting at me, and he told me to stop and hold on to his kayak. And then he said, can you see? And I didn't respond right away because I was wondering why he was asking me that question. And then he continued, the shore is that way, as he pointed to the right, and you're swimming to the left. You're going the wrong way. I have a tendency to swim to the left on a good day, and with the waves encouraging my already bad habit, he was right. I was way off course. And the funny thing is that I thought I was swimming straight and would have kept on going if he hadn't taken the time to stop me and show me the way. I'm so thankful he pointed me in the right direction and was intentional and determined to help me. See, Jennifer already had a tendency to swim to the left. The waves she was in were heading to the left. And in that direction, she didn't want to be going to the left. She wanted to be going to the right. But because the waves were going that way, everything felt right. Until that volunteer in the kayak pointed out the wrong direction and helped her adjust her course back to the right. And we all need someone like that in our lives. We can't always see ahead. Or, if we're honest, we think, I've got this under control. I can handle. And we don't realize we're surrounded by other people heading in the same wrong direction as we, and so it feels so right. And we need someone who's bold enough to say, can you see? You're headed in the wrong direction. Turn back. Proverbs 15.22, plans fail when there's no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 11.14, when there's no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. See, we all need someone in our corner, someone who loves Jesus and who loves us. 
And the reason those two qualities are important is because when it comes to setting boundaries, we need someone who doesn't really necessarily want us to have everything that we want. They have to want us to be better. And like us, they need to be able to look ahead and see danger, and they need to warn us. Their values must be the same as ours so they can recognize when we're moving in the wrong direction, when we're making small decisions that lead to our temptation or we're starting to compromise. And the person we choose to hold us accountable has to be able to help us adjust back to standards of behavior that become an integral part of our conscience. And often these adjustments will be centered not on right and wrong. Instead, they're going to be grounded on wise or unwise. So remember when I walked to the edge of the platform and asked which step is the step that would cause me to fall off? And it wasn't actually the last step. It was the first step towards the edge. See, right and wrong kicks in right at the edge. When we're at the edge of temptation, no, I shouldn't smoke. No, I shouldn't inhale. No, I shouldn't chew it up. No, I shouldn't do whatever drug it is. No, I shouldn't drink this drink. No, I should not kiss this person. No, I should not eat this food. No, I should not pocket this money. No, I should not. What is it? What is it that no, I should not do? But wisdom says I shouldn't even be in that position to begin with. When we learn to ask the is it wise questions on the front end, then we forget the right and wrong questions on the edge. Is it wrong for me to get into a car with a person of the opposite sex? Well, no, but with where I want my marriage and relationship to be, is it wise? Is it wrong for me to eat desserts all day, every day? No. But where I want to be health-wise and weight-wise, is it wise? Is it wrong for me to buy those really cool shoes that I just saw on the sale rack at Macy's? No. But where I want to be financially, is it wise? See, those are simple questions. But if we apply that principle to every decision that we make, or if we have someone who can hold us accountable to them, then we're going to develop standards of behavior that become a matter of our conscience. And then we'll be able to look ahead. We'll be able to recognize danger in front of us. We'll be able to create boundaries that keep us from temptation. Now you can close your Bibles and put your notes away. And I'm going to give you an example with something goofy in my life. You see, Pastor Sheldon likes ice cream. I can live without it. But a bag of potato chips... I can, I can do that thing in one sitting, just by myself. I love potato chips. And I try, you know, we buy them because I like them, and then I try not to eat the whole bag. My husband even said to me, you know what you do? Just put a little bit in a bowl, and then put it away, and eat the potato chip. The problem is, when this bowl was empty, I knew there was a bag. And so I'd go back and fill the bowl, and then go back and fill the bowl and go back and fill the bowl. So that boundary didn't work. And that accountability didn't work. So I don't buy potato chips at my house. Now, is potato chips bad? If I eat a bag of potato chips, and am I going to get to heaven, and God's going to go, nope, sorry. You can't come in here because you ate too many potato chips. No. But it's a matter of wisdom. See, I know where I want my health to be. 
I know where I want my weight to be. So eating a bag of potato chips every day is not in keeping with that. And I had to set a boundary. And that's a silly thing. But you know what? We all have an area. We have serious areas. We have goofy areas. But we need to set boundaries. And we need to build them strong. We need to build them wide. We need to build them so that it won't bring us to the point of temptation. So I'm going to close with this. I'm going to give you an assignment to do. So you write this down. Okay, sometime this week or even tonight, I want you to write down, what is that one area that you wrestle with? And after you, you get that area, I want you to start looking ahead and you ask yourself these questions, whatever that area is. What temptations and danger lie ahead? If I continue in this direction with this one thing, what temptation and danger lies ahead? What first steps do I need to do to avoid that temptation? And then ask, who can help me make wise decisions before they become right or wrong decisions? And when you answer those questions, then you set a boundary that you're not going to cross. Just like that guard row where it's not safe. You just put it where it's safe. And then you go to your friend that you can trust, someone who loves Jesus, someone who loves you. And you say, you know what? This is a boundary that I want to set. And I want you to help me stay accountable. Can you do that? And you ask that person to hold you accountable to your boundaries so you don't get to right and wrong, but we stay right here where wisdom is. Okay? So that's our assignment this week. All right? We're going to close our eyes and we're going to pray and then we're going to stand up afterwards and worship with the team. So you, Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for the wisdom that you gave us and thank you that it's a very beginning of time, you put boundaries in place. And you did that because you love us and you wanted us to be free. So Lord God, so that we can enjoy the freedom that you've given us. So we can have the abundant life that you have called us to. Would you help us to set boundaries? Would you help us to be wise? Would you help us to be accountable? So Lord God, we give you all of this. We give you our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.